0: If Christ has not been raised, then our faith is futile. So writes the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome. And if Christ has not been raised, he then goes on, then those who have died in Christ have simply perished. Have simply perished, he says. And thus, if for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. So writes Paul, putting in the starkest of terms the great wager of Christian hope. What it all comes down to, is it hope for now, and this is it? Or is it also hope for tomorrow? And is there something more? A question that Paul himself answers writing, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who've died. The first fruits. The separation of death is always painful whether we've been separated days ago or for years now. It's always painful. But when we live in Christ, when we see the world through Christ's eyes, when we understand reality through the lens of Christ's resurrection, then we find solace in our separation and strength in our pain in two vital ways. First, as we trust that our pain and our separation are only temporal, and that what pains and what grieves us now pales in comparison to what is prepared for us later, And second, we trust that the pain and grief we feel now is not borne by us alone, but that as the writer of Hebrews says, in Christ Jesus, we have a high priest who's able to empathize with us in our sorrows, which is to say that we have a Savior who, like us, knows what the pain of death and separation and grief feels like. And so in today's sermon, I want to talk about these two great sources of Christian hope and solace. And then I will invite us to hold both of these sources of solace dear on this day. On this day when we remember our loved ones who have gone on to glory before us this past year. First, knowing That Christ shares our sorrows with us. Perhaps this language might sound trite. Perhaps this may even sound like an ornate idea that has no practical substance or form to it. This language that Christ feels our suffering and sorrows with us. But when we look clearly into the Scriptures, we see that this is far more than a mere idea. For when we look clearly into the Scriptures, we see this otherwise trite language taking on human form and thus becoming immensely practical. I invite us to look no further than the Gospel of John, in which we see Jesus called the home of Lazarus. Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, having sent word to Jesus that Lazarus, Jesus' dear friend, is dying. As we follow this story, we see Jesus arrive to Lazarus' home just a little too late. For By the time that Jesus indeed gets there, Lazarus has already passed away. Let me pause right here to ask us this. How many of us can relate to this scene? How many of us have been called to the home of a loved one soon to pass? Called to the hospice room, the hospital room, to the back bedroom, to the place where one whom we love will soon breathe his or her last? How many of us have stood there in such moments with lumps in our throat? And with tears in our eyes, how many of us with family and friends gathered around have sat around the bed then of the recently deceased holding one another, crying with one another, perhaps even sharing a prayer with one another. Most all of us have experienced such a moment, and such moments are indeed among the rawest, most emotional moments and experiences that we can have as human beings. And I bring this up right now so as to bring alive for us this particular story that I'm telling from John's Gospel, because you see, this is the experience that Jesus himself is undergoing as he arrives to Lazarus' house, his dear friend. For as Jesus arrives, late though he is, he arrives in time to still see friends and family gathered together, tears in their eyes, holding one another close, perhaps themselves singing hymns or sharing words of prayer together. And here now is what happens in that story. And listen carefully to this, because perhaps more than anything else, this, a moment like this, gives us a window into the very heart and character of Creator God. Jesus, in this moment, walks into the room and He sees everyone else crying. He feels His own emotion beginning to well up inside Him. And then suddenly, just like them and just like us, Jesus himself begins to weep. Yes, shortly after this, Jesus will indeed raise Lazarus back to life. That is part of this same story, no doubt. And yes, this part of the story is indeed remarkable, but on this day, on this All Saints Sunday, I tell this particular story in order for us to focus on this part of the story, this part where Jesus, God become human, begins to weep at the sight of a loved one's passing and at the sight of his dear friend's tears and anguish. The point is this, if the person of Jesus is indeed our clearest window into the essential character of Creator God, if Jesus really is, as theologians call Him, the human face of God, if so, then what follows is this, that our Creator God also weeps along with and for us. Dear family, on this All Saints Sunday, remember this. We have not a high priest who is unable to empathize with us in our sorrows. Instead, we have a high priest who is acquainted with sorrows in the same ways as are we. Which means that on this day, As we feel the pain of death's separation, Christ our Lord, seated on high, feels that pain with us. We do not, nor will we ever carry our pain alone. That's point number one. Point number two. We will also not carry our pain forever. For the Christian hope is this, that as Christ Jesus has been raised in glory, so shall we and our loved ones be raised in glory one day as well. If we see that first point, the consolation that Christ Jesus shares our pain and our sorrow with us, this would be of only limited comfort if it weren't followed by this second point. For if this is all there is, if we live today and we die tomorrow, if the sum total of life's meaning is nil, if we are merely to eat, drink, and be merry today, for tomorrow we will die, well, if so then what really is comforting about knowing that God feels our pain with us during it? If our pain is merely shared, but is never in fact transformed, what is really the point of carrying it at all? That is what Paul is saying when he writes to the Corinthians that if Christ has not been raised, then their faith is futile. Why bother with it then? He is, in essence, saying. But the central claim of Christian faith, the thing it all turns upon, is the belief against belief that somehow this man, Jesus, this man who was somehow more than a man, that somehow this man, Jesus, died like we do, but then rose from the dead like we do not. But then that because He rose from the dead like we do not, that so too one day will we. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, Paul writes. The first fruits of those who die. You know what the first fruits are? This language, the firstfruits, this is a reference to the Israelite harvest cycle and to the annual observance of the Jewish festival, Shavuot. You see, every year at Shavuot, which occurs in the late spring, the ancient Jewish community, per the command in Exodus 23, was to bring crops from the firstfruits of their fields and then leave them outside of the temple. A symbolic offering meant to demonstrate their faith in God's ability to bring forth a larger harvest of these same crops come the fullness of the season. In other words, they were to bring a small representation of the larger crop that they trusted would indeed come in the fullness of time. And that, Paul writes, is what Jesus has become for humankind. The resurrection of the one human being, Jesus, Paul writes, is the first fruit of the larger resurrection of redeemed humanity that is one day to come. Jesus, Paul is saying, is the first of what will be an exponential harvest of resurrected human beings come the fullness of time. This, the entire Christian story urges us to believe, is what the entire story of creation has been about. That it's about the work of a loving God, all the while humbling himself to partner with his own creation humbling himself to become one of his own creation so as to bring all of creation back into line with his great and good purpose. And what this purpose is, what this all means, what this all looks like, only God knows. And thus, only poetry can begin to hint at And so to that end, the best we can do to describe that which is to come, the best that we can do on this All Saints Sunday to conceive of that great coming glory, is to listen carefully to the poetry offered to us by St. John in his grand revelation, where St. John writes, And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And I heard a loud voice, Jesus' voice, coming from the throne saying, See, the home of God is now among humankind. God will dwell with them. They will be His people. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For death, He writes, will be no more. Dear family, as we reflect on this All Saints Sunday, on the lives of those whom we've lost this year, and as we experience that inevitable pain that comes with death's separation, let us hold fast to these two profound sources of comfort. First, that we do not carry our pain alone, that Christ our Lord weeps along with us, And second, that our tears will one day be wiped away. As St. John writes, so do I, as your pastor, believe these words are trustworthy and they are true. For Christ Jesus has been raised from the dead. And because he has, so too will he one day wipe all tears from our eyes. And on that day, mourning and crying and pain will be no more. And it will be, as the poet says, one short sleep past and we wake eternally. And death thou shalt die. Strength for today indeed. And bright hope for tomorrow. Amen.